every casual aquascaper is already making something that is beautiful to a wide audience. That's our guest this week, Stephen Chong. He's an aquascaper that was originally from Honolulu, Hawaii, but moved to Japan. And he works there as a marketer for an IT company. What makes him unique is that he's part of the TAU, the Tokyo Aquascaping Union, which is comprised of a small number of very dedicated aquascapers with the shared goal of ranking high in the IA PLC. Notably, Masashi Ono-san, who's been in every competition since the very beginning, and Fukata Takeyuki-san, who was last year and this year's grand champion, ranking number one in the world. Steven stresses that he doesn't have any of these high accomplishments of his own, and that he's very much a beginner, and that he's also very grateful to have the opportunity to be around these influences. And what's great for us is that Steven speaks English, and he can convey to us some of these experiences and some of the things he's learned by working with them and being around these high-ranking aquascapers. What I got most from our conversation with Steven is that success really lies within the context of your goal and your intention. And those goals and intentions define the steps that need to be taken to achieve that success. Now, what's important to realize here is that there are a lot of noteworthy goals. It could be winning a contest, but it can also be just having a nice aquascape in your living room to share with your family and friends. You know, every plant in aquarium, given that, you know, you've had some success with growing plants, as, you know, Tom Bar would say, if you can grow weeds in a box, <laughs> if, you can, if you can grow weeds in a box, you're already doing good. It uh, makes it sound so simple. Yeah, but, but this, is a, this is an important point, I think. Um, there's no such thing as a planted aquarium with healthy plants and fish that isn't beautiful. That's, that, that's a, I think, an important starting point. If you've done a good job growing plants and keeping fish healthy in an aquarium, you've already made something of astounding, astounding beauty, really. Like, you don't need to do any of this in order to make a beautiful aquarium. You don't need to be uh, nitpicking about this and that and every other detail or being super serious about layouts or design or the contest in order to make something that will really touch people because planted aquariums themselves are just so beautiful. And that's one of the great things about our hobby and our art form. Putting that as an aside or putting that as the base point, right? That every planted aquarium is a beautiful aquarium. The question then becomes, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? Because if you're just trying to impress the people who will come into your home, all you have to do is make sure your weeds grow well um, and you've already made something great. But the things that we're talking about are important within the context of, you know, of trying to learn, of trying to grow or trying to achieve a, cert a certain objective like a score in the IAPLC or in ADA's case, introducing the hobby and introducing ADA products or in an Iwagumi artist layout, you know, speaking to that tradition and showing people that tradition. Within the context of your goal, does the layout look good is the ultimate question here. So Tokyo Aquascaping is a club of hobbyists really, but um, hobbyists who are very dedicated to the competition, specifically 
um, Aqua Design Mono's International Aquatic Plant Layout Contest, the IEPLC. For those who aren't familiar with the IEPLC, you know, it's the biggest international contest with over 2,000 participants every year. A lot of people on Facebook and people who are familiar with international conversations about aquascaping have probably spoken to Ono Masashi Ono-san or seen his work or are familiar with his um, layouts because he's basically a super veteran who's been in the contest since the very first year and put in a piece into every contest every year. He has more plates than any other person in the world most likely. Um, other members include Shintaro Matsui-san and Toshifumi Watanabe-san, who are both previous top 10 placers in the contest. And then, of course, I think a lot of people know Fukada Takayuki-san, who is last year's grand champion. Also, I mentioned Shito Noriyuki-san, who is the owner at an aquarium. Well, Shito-san isn't like an active member of the, of the TAU team who are putting in aquascapes every year. He's an incredible resource. He's an incredible um, supplier and he's my personal teacher. He's been my instructor in layout personally until I got more involved with the TAU. Yeah, That's so. awesome. That must be amazing to be around that environment and to be able to kind of like feed off of each other's vibes and grow in that way uh, in, in, in a team. And I think in, in Tokyo and other parts of the world, there's more of a, a team uh, player atmosphere, whereas it seems like, at least here in the United States, we're we're more like a loners. You know, we kind of do our own thing. Uh, but it's nice to be in a team environment and have that kind of support. You know, it's not just the U.S. I think when you think about how niche aquascaping is worldwide, you really can't expect you really can't expect to have a big community in most places. Um, it's just not something that you find really, um, even geographically, finding people. Um, a concentration of people who are, you know, passionate about the hobby and are really into it, let alone, you know, have a competitive mindset towards it. It's not right. something that you can expect to see in most communities. It's definitely a privilege for me. You just got to be lucky in that sense. And there are a lot of countries that have a lot of really great aquascapers, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're able to get together easily within the same geography. Geography. Or if you're a newcomer, it doesn't necessarily mean it's really easy to get in touch with people who are, you know, really experienced and who have a lot of knowledge. What would you say is the biggest difference between aquascaping uh, for yourself uh, personally and aquascaping in a competitive environment? That's a good question. And it's hard to really um, put a finger on it. But I think, like, what really defines what you're trying to do is your goals and your focus. And I feel like the difference between before and after I met on the TAU was that up until now, I always thought of myself as being serious about aquascaping, but I really wasn't. It's something that I understood very quickly when talking to the other members, because when you have a very specific goal, like I'm going to be in the top 100 of the IEPLC, or I'm going to try and reach the top 50, top 27. Then you think objectively about whether or not your layouts are actually at that level or what you need to learn in order to be able to put, a, put together a layout at that level or the skills that you need, the supplies that you need, the, you know, do you have the capacity to reach there? This is just something I'm observing, and, and I'm new to the game myself, uh, much newer than you are, uh, and much less skilled. 
But I've noticed in competitions that there it seems to be a lot of dominant hardscaping layouts lately. Have you noticed that? And, and why, do you, why do you think that is? Why is it leaning towards such hardscape dominant uh, pieces? I think for someone who has been in the hobby a long time and started off by seeing a lot of Dutch aquascapes, for instance, in the AGA, or seeing a lot of Amano's previous works, which are you know really the traditional nature aquarium style. Amano-san did work a lot with Iwagumi and Duboku layouts, but I think people were overwhelmed by his stem plant layouts too. And I think stem plants especially have fallen off a lot in high-level competition. You know, even in the top layouts that use them, they're not necessarily the main focus of the layout. And as to why that is, I think it comes back to this idea of being objective and having a goal. Basically, in order to make a really good layout, you have to make intentional decisions. What I mean is that, you know, at the very highest level, when you're comparing people who are going to be in the top 100, the top 50, the top 20, you know, out of 2,600 participants, it really does become um, an objective contest of skill at some point. And what I mean by that is that you have to demonstrate skill and you have to demonstrate thought. Of course, the overall impression of the layout is really important, but what goes into that and what also creates the fine details that separate someone who's in the top 80 versus someone who's in the top 40, 30, 20, um, it's all about how intentional you are. And with, if you have made very intentional decisions about basically everything in the layout, the more intentional things are, the higher skill level you can bring them to. And what hardscape intensive layouts do is they give the aquascaper more opportunity within the same space to make more intentional decisions, which is how I see, you know, Georama or other very landscape esquis layouts coming to the top. Now, um, people have started to, I think like the community as a whole has started to, you know, feel a bit of doubt as to whether or not, you know, a big mountain layout with lots of fish swimming over it is something that feels natural in an aquarium or should be the objective of a nature aquarium layout. And so I think like um, starting with last year's trend, we're going to see more layouts that feel like they belong within an aquatic setting or have the feeling of being inside water. But at the same time, even if we're kind of past the stage where the best layouts are, oh, this is clearly a picture of the Grand Canyon. You know, it's <laughs> it's right. like, you know, a mount, mountain or a desert or some. I think there was a, one layout last year that was a desert with cactus. That was very creative and innovative, right? But kind of unnatural in a fish and aquatic plant layout setting. So if those types of layouts might not might have had their prime already, they're, they've still you know, brought the community through a learning curve where we learned that the more intentional decisions we can make about design, the better and stronger designs get, the more opportunity you have to demonstrate your skill. And I think that's where you know, very hardscape intensive layouts excel compared to you know, aquariums that take a, a lot of space for stem plants. You know, stem plants definitely have a place in the hobby. There are some incredible layouts that use them. One of our members, Ono Musashi-san, also created his layout this year specifically to um, demonstrate good use of stem plants. So I think that's something that people should look forward to when the results are released in October. So what you're kind of saying here, let me see if I can kind of wrap my, my head around this, is that uh, you, know, you keep talking about goals and being uh, intentional. And the more intentional that you are, uh, basically the higher uh, points that you can get in the contest. So 
it's almost as if the point system is guiding the contest layouts towards a hardscape dominant layout. Does, is that correct? Am I grasping that correctly? Um, you know, I'm not trying to talk to the specific grading scores of the contest. I'm not experienced enough to really talk to how it works. Um, and I don't want to be pretend to be an expert in the way that the contest is judged. Um, I'm making a general point about the fact that, you know, when you're looking at 2,400 layouts and you have to pick, you know, the cream of the crop among them, it gets really nitty-gritty. Right, of course, right. there are, like, you know, fundamental skills that separate, I think, people who are going to be in that upper 200 versus the rest of the contest. But, you know, it becomes a battle of skill the higher up you go. And within that intense battle of skill, people who can be more intentional and who can demonstrate more skill are going to necessarily, you know, have a better opportunity to show, you know, show, show that. It's really interesting. Like, of course, it's art and things like inspiration and things like instinct and things like, you know, that sense of beauty. Of course, you need that in order to make a layout that's meaningful. But I think for a lot of people, especially at the beginner level like myself, intermediate level it's much more logical it's much more objective than you'd expect it to be you know Watanabe-san and Matsui-san in our group are both engineers and they are very analytical in the way they think actually the whole team is pretty analytical but I think you have to think about it from a very logical objective standpoint as a base you know you have to be thinking about how the layout has been fit together it's from a very objective standpoint to begin with So I work in IT, and one of the things we talk about all the time is UX, user experience. How is this actually going to be interacted with, with the intended audience? And I think a lot of you know a lot of things, whether it's books, or movies, or art of every single form, and of course hardware and software, etc. It all comes down to the user experience. In this case, what is the viewer going to perceive? How is the viewer going to experience this layout? Ultimately, I think if you follow, for instance, a traditional guide just by the playbook, you're really starting from the point of view of the skills, which is important because obviously you need to learn skills and basic skills and concepts in order to progress. But when you're trying to make a higher level layout, it's important that you keep the viewer in mind, which is why it comes back to this idea of goals. And one thing Ono-san always tells me is, you know, show the layout to your wife because she doesn't know anything about obfuscating <laughs> layouts. And if she thinks it's good, you know you're on the right path. But as to your point about simplicity, as I mentioned, like the top layouts have more and more intentional build into them. I think I really would like people to look at Skata-san's layout from last year, Longing, which is the grand champion. And also Gregor's um, Grand Championship layout from, what was that, 2013? I think it was 2013. But they're easy to digest. Like you look at it and you immediately understand the intention. Making it easy to understand is a really important concept in trying to make a layout that speaks to more people. Um, what you're trying to express should be very easy and simple to digest. But the way that you build that is being intentional about everything that's within the layout. And it's not just the rocks and the wood and the plants, but of course it comes down to the fish and the sand and even like where you leave algae in the layout. And probably what some 
a lot of people don't realize is the reflection on the on both sides of the aquarium. When you fill a tank with water, the left and right side walls of the aquarium actually reflect a lot of things that are within the layout. But you know, a high level layout, sorry, a high level layouter is able to manipulate that to show the audience things that aren't physically viewable or to create a reflection that looks like it is continuous with the actual physical contents of the aquarium itself. You know, not everyone wants to be a competitive layouter. Even amongst people who are really good at aquascaping, you know, aqua design group in Texas, they have a very different goal from the TAU. Theirs is to create simple, minimalistic, and beautiful designs that can inspire people, um, inspire a broader audience to enjoy aquascaping. Um, that's also why they have layouts that don't use any plants at all in order to make the concepts of good nature aquarium design more accessible to a broader audience. I really respect Jeff for his vision on that. You know, Aqua Design Amano itself, their layouts are not meant to be, you know, super high level contest layouts. But in the context of introducing basic concepts of four middle background and design and using hardscape and plants together, while inspiring an audience, teaching about the ADA product line, and also you know making a vision that seems accessible to the viewer. In that context, their layouts are basically perfected, right? Even though um, something that appears in an aqua journal probably couldn't get into the top 300 of the contest itself. In the context of IAPLC, which is a one-shot photo contest, it's not only about what you're laying and where you're laying it in, but you have to think about it, again, from the viewer experience, not from the physical tank in front of you, that ultimately, what are they going to see, right? And how can you show it to them? For instance, like you can show people hardscape that is hidden behind others' hardscape in the reflection in order to make you know, the layout feel like it's bigger than it actually is or to give a different dimension to what you're trying to show the viewer. There's a lot of things that you can do in order to create the expression that you're ultimately aiming for, but you won't be able to get past a certain point unless you're thinking about basically about everything inside. That's why I said everything inside the aquarium, as much as you can, be intentional and have made a decision about as much as you can within the aquascape, and that will already make your layout better than it would have been if you hadn't thought about those things right no that's so a, you're you're uh, saying yeah. my fly by the seat of my pants aquascaping style is just not going to cut it for iaplc <laughs> <laughs> well um so you don't want to plant all, everything first and then do say that you know HC has been an incredible asset to the hobby ever since it came on the scene it's just enabled a lot of layouts that wouldn't have existed otherwise but one plant that I think everyone should be paying close attention to especially beginners is Hemianthus Monte Carlo or in Japanese we say new raji paru grass new large pearl grass <laughs> we have the funkiest <laughs> names for plants in Japanese. I've had to relearn all of them since coming here. You know, I think new large pearl grass especially is something that's really cool because it can it can creep on things, it can carpet, it can be used in a huge diversity of layouts. 
you know, you can use it in a layout that feels cool or in a layout that feels tropical. And the other thing is compared to HC, it's really easy to grow. I mean, I basically yeah. thrown the thing in complete shadow and it continues to crawl. Um, it's pretty ridiculous. You guys have had experience with it too, right? Oh yeah, I went to that when I uh, was tired of messing with an HC carpet I couldn't get to go and I just said, forget it, I'm moving on to something else. And, and Monte Carlo had just come out, it wasn't available commercially yet. And man, that thing grew, it grew easy. It was really easy. And so that's what I, a lot of times on the forums when, you know, I think it's it's a big cliche. Beginners are always like, I want to do an HC carpet. And you're going, no, 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 no. Don't start <laughs> oh, there. I understand how that has kind of become a cliche. Um, yeah, oh, I did it too. So I can't. Just now in there, but. So I always point them to, uh, to the Hemianthus Monte Carlo because it looks very similar, but it's a lot easier to grow. Right. But HC is not too hard once you get the grasp of it. If you've got CO2 and you've got a decent amount of light, I've actually seen HC outpace Monte Carlo within the same tank if you have enough light and CO2. But Yeah, I think you're, you're definitely right. It, it, once you get the hang of it, and that's the thing, is, is it takes some time and you really need to be able to manage your CO2 well. And that's the hard thing when you're starting out is getting that right. Yeah. I think in a contest layout, what you'll often see is that both are in there. Scott Assange's layout from last year has Monte Carlo planted in a lot of the different mid-ground areas. And the background is basically all HC and hair grass. You know, there's the intent of going from big to small in terms of mm -hmm. leaf size. So perspective is, you know, another important thing to think about when you're putting down hardscape for a contest layout. But yeah, HC, Monte Carlo, and different mosses are... You know, what I would say is are my favorite and maybe the core of the palette needed to make a lot of different layouts. It's really easy for beginners especially to you know get um, sidetracked by a lot of flashy plants that don't necessarily well basically a lot of flashy plants that you know push themselves more towards collecting as opposed to layout design. Steven, um, I, I, a lot of beginners have a uh, trouble especially with the mid-ground. Do you have any advice for a beginner or intermediate people uh, who are kind of having trouble with their, with their mid-ground? Do you have any pointers uh, for them or can you kind of um, steer them in the right direction? I know that in, from the perspective of layout guides, ideas of the fore, mid, and background are really important to think about. Or like you see those concepts, concepts talked about a lot in different guides and different places on the internet and even within ADA's resources. We talked about user experience, right? We talked about speaking to the viewer and expressing to the viewer and thinking about what the viewer is ultimately going to see. In that context, you know, the viewer doesn't really care or think about what's in the foreground, what's in the midground, what's in the background. Right. Those are abstract constructs that, you know, we as layouters have, you know, put together in our, within our own world and within our own time, with our own mindset. But you know, the judges of the contest, too, they don't think about, oh, this foreground looks great, this midground looks great, this background looks great. It comes back to what are you trying to express and how can you use the different areas, the different physical spaces within the aquarium in order to achieve that goal, which ultimately comes down back against the viewer experience. How does the viewer perceive this? You know, if you are learning, if you, are, if you know nothing about the hobby or layout, Definitely, please look at online guides, look at materials, talk to as many people as you can. 
uh, read the ADA guides as well that also talk about four middle and background. But um, if you're trying to go beyond that and you're trying to, you've kind of run up against the wall and you're trying to break out of that mindset, I'd say forget it. Forget the mid-ground, forget the foreground, forget the background. The entire tank is the mid-ground. <laughs> or, you know, the entire tank is space that you can use in order to achieve a certain experience for the viewer. And how do you do that? That's what you have to think about. All aquariums have a light source that are coming directly above them. So the light is coming from top down. Right. And when a piece of layout material is set so that it is tilted, okay, let's just, let's just pretend that you put one stone in the middle of the layout pointing straight up. If you tilt that stone forward, it'll become dark because from the angle that the viewer is seeing that stone, you know, the light is hitting it from on top and the face of the stone is dark. Inversely, if you push that towards the back of the aquarium, it becomes completely bright. And this is the way all lit layout materials work within the lighting of an aquarium. If you tilt it towards the front, it'll become dark. If you tilt it towards the back, it'll reach its lightest value. And you can use that as a tool in order to draw clear lines between different parts of the layout or define different areas or help impact the expression of motion. That's why I said that lines of view are not easy to create independent of knowing the skill of dark and light because you need this skill of how to manipulate hardscape in order to define and create different areas of the aquarium. And it's interesting because within the international community, obviously a lot of top layouters and a lot of competitive layouters and people who know them know these things and design very well with dark and light and manipulating different spaces. Some of the work that's coming out of China and Indonesia and France and Germany, there are a lot of incredible, just like the level of layouters is increasing every year and this is information that should become more and more average and common but I still feel like you can't find people talking about a lot of these things in English speaking spaces part of all the reason why I created my YouTube channel but ultimately you know if you don't have this fundamental understanding of the way hardscape works in an aquarium it's very hard to go past a certain level and in one of my videos, um, I just Googled the word planted tank and look at, pull up the list of planted tanks that Google throws up. And you can go down the list and those that have used light and dark in a, mean, in a meaningful way. I think e even you as a, I think even the most beginner average layouter, taking what I've said just now, um, looking at Google results for the word planted tank and going through the different pictures that will come up, you'll be able to see that the vast majority of results, unless they're top layout contests and contest um, pieces, the vast majority of results aren't using light and dark in a meaningful way. Hardscape is placed straight up and down, or all of the hardscape is tilted towards the back of the aquarium so that, you know, from left to right, there's no change in value. The entire layout is white. And that is the way the majority of um, layouts look. You could see this being done by beginners. You could see this being done by professionals. Different parts of the world and different places and areas are in different stages of the learning curve. I'd say that, you know, I consider myself a beginner. I consider myself very, as very inexperienced. But I think this is one of the, you know, this is one of the breaking points. And it's not like um, this is some well-kept secret or anything. Amano-san talked about light and dark and their effective use in basically every single 
breakdown at the nature aquarium parties <laughs> to give you a background i've been to about two or three nature aquarium parties and i'm going this year too super excited about that but wow, awesome you you've basically never seen Amano-san give a seminar where he didn't talk about dark and light and, and it sounds like what you're saying is even just grasping that one idea is going to bring your layouts up to a whole new level yeah, because it's like playing rock, paper, scissors with just the rock and paper. And suddenly you've figured out that, oh, there's this thing called a, um, a scissors. Sorry, you've been playing rock, paper, scissors with just the rock and the paper. And you find out, oh, wait, there's this technology called a scissor. And it's part of the game and I'm allowed to use it. There are a lot of concepts that I think it takes people a long time to discover. And listening to you talk, and I have a feeling a lot of the audience, a lot of people listening to this podcast is going to get a lot out of this because, you know, they are easy to grasp, but there are a lot of things that people really never think about or may take even sometimes a lifetime just to discover. So we're kind of, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of pulling the veil away for a lot of people here. So this is really important. So thank you for talking to us about this stuff. Um, you know, it, 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 I think it's really important for people to hear it on any level. Yeah, thanks a lot, yeah. Stephen. It's been great. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the my aquascape right behind me going, oh, I should have tilted that rock forward a little or maybe that one a little yeah, back. Yeah, I, I want to so, completely you know. take my aquascape apart and start over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully, I haven't created more work for you guys. <laughs> oh, you did. But Don't I think, worry. <laughs> you know, I think coming back, um, as I said at the very beginning of this podcast, um, every planted aquarium – with healthy plants and healthy fish is already is something of great beauty. And this is a hobby for everyone. There are a lot of different people in the hobby who are trying to do a lot of different things. I'm coming at it from one very specific angle. But, you know, there's so many things that different people are trying to achieve with their aquariums. So I don't want, I want to encourage everyone. I want to say that, you know, every feet, if you, you're getting your hands wet, then, you know, you're doing something that's great for the hobby. And, you know, if some of these things can help you in, in achieving your own personal goals, then I'll be happy that we did this podcast. Very cool. So, Stephen, uh, just once again, before we go here, uh, can you just uh, tell everybody again where they can find you, where they can get more information about you? So I have a YouTube channel, Stephen Chong Creative Corner. Please check it out. If you are a beginner layouter or, you know, beginner intermediate layouter who is at the same stage as me, which is, you know, trying to learn more, become more objective in the way you think about aquascaping and get an introduction to really basic concepts that don't necessarily find their way into a lot of online guides, especially in English, then I'd say that, you know, checking out my channel might be a valuable resource. I don't stand to speak to you as like a formal expert or teacher. You can take my advice or leave it as you go. But I hope people who are interested in these types of design content concepts that aren't widely available you know you can go to the channel learn a bit about how i think about things it might change the way you see them as well and otherwise i'd say don't be afraid to reach out and talk to people because um sorry talking to people and having a community and sharing with others is definitely the way to improve especially us americans we have to be less isolated from the international community there are a lot of things you might not be able to learn from someone without speaking their language but there are a lot of things you can learn from looking at people's pictures and thinking about them critically. Awesome. Well, thank you, Stephen. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us. 
All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode of the Aquascaping Podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget to check out Stephen Chong's Creative Corner on YouTube. And to find out more information about the Tokyo Aquascaping Union, go to www.tau-aqua.net. Don't forget to subscribe and rate on iTunes, and we're now available on Stitcher Radio. Have a good week, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Setting sun approaching.